remain standing, would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter number 3, New Testament. John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Go to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8, starting at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death Principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One other place called by revelation, first Peter. First Peter chapter number one. First Peter chapter number one. Starting at verse number three. First Peter chapter number one, verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the reassurance of our assurance. Thank you for Jesus Christ who made all this possible. I pray, dear Lord, that we that are saved will know it for sure because of your word that we are saved eternally, cannot be lost. Help those, Lord, that have some other thought or been taught some other way, that they will adjust their thinking to what God has to say. I pray that this morning this will become clear to maybe some that are even in this room. If not in this room, Lord, they'll be able to take this to perhaps a family member or a neighbor and help them to understand about salvation and eternal life. Help us, please, this morning. My prayer would be also, Lord, if there's one person, one, that is lost, does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that this morning will be that morning when the Holy Ghost of God has brought conviction upon them. They will yield to that conviction and ask you to forgive them and to save them. And today will be that born-again experience, that new creature experience, 
that I am now a child of God experience, that can only happen through repentance and accepting of Jesus Christ as Savior. Help the dear people this morning. Thank you for this place. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Help us now in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated.
a good thing to do. So they start going to church. I'm talking about the Sunday morning crowd, not the Sunday evening crowd, because that, that cuts way back down. Because a lot of just religious people, they go to church on Sunday morning. This is what we used to call the C&E crowd. You know what I'm talking about? Christmas and Easter. That is Easter. You know, they ought to go to church. That is Christmas time. They ought to go to church. So it's the C&E crowd that I'm talking about this morning. It's those who go through a routine because they just think it's the right thing to do. Other than that, they're not really sure why. Mommy and Daddy raised them that way, and I guess that's what we're supposed to do. Or they just want to fit into a social type of crowd and be accepted, and they just feel that it's just the right thing to do, and it makes me feel good. So they go to church. I'm going to call this the religious crowd. The religious crowd. Religious people think they will go to heaven, but they cannot know for sure. So if this is you, you're a religious person. You do not know for sure. Now, how terrible to follow someone that says, you never know if you're going to make it to heaven or not. You never know if you're going to go to the great beyond after this. You just never know. Why would you follow anybody or a belief like that? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Do a little bit of Bible turning here this morning. Ephesians chapter number 2. I want you to look at verse number 9. Verse number 9. For those people, religious people, they're always trying to adjust their life to clean it up, make themselves look better, feel better about themselves, and shine among the crowd. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, They may not define it that way, but honestly, that's what they're trying to do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 9, it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, we love to talk about how we're outdoing those other people. Well, at least I'm not doing that. I know a guy who's doing this. I'm not doing that. See, we're all the time boasting about our good works. But the Bible says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. In Romans chapter number 3, go there, please. Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. Look at verse number 28. The Bible said, therefore we conclude. Conclude means this is the bottom line of it. All right? Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So if you say you're living by faith, but you still need to live right to be saved, to be saved, the Bible clearly says that you're justified by faith without the works of the law. So it's either faith or it's works. It cannot be faith and works. If it's faith and works, then faith is no more faith. If it's works, then faith is no uh, works is no more. If it's faith and works, then works is no more works. It can't be both because one is all the way over here, the other is all the way over here. You cannot mix the two. I know it may make sense to you, but that's not biblical. Religious people, the reason they only think they'll go to heaven is because they base entire entering heaven upon their good works or their righteousness. The Bible talks about which they think that they have. Now the Bible tells me. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our, you really, you're not going to like this part, all of our righteousnesses, not our badnesses, our righteousness, all of our good stuff. Without Christ, he's saying all of our good stuff, all of our good stuff, sit right here, all of our righteousnesses are as. Filthy rags. Now that's your best stuff. Your best stuff that you can produce in order for God to let you to go to heaven. All your best stuff, all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now God's not comparing you to another person. God's comparing you to Jesus Christ. 
come short of the glory of God. If a religious man is depending upon his good works, getting him to heaven, he cannot go. Why? Because thieves and robbers can't go to heaven. He's in there. You're talking about a good person. Now you're calling him a thief and a robber. Why would I say such a thing? I want you to go to John chapter number 10. You're in Romans. Go back just about a book or two. You'll run right into it. John chapter number 10. I'm working with a new Bible. I need to get some more problems. Then when I do, I get over. I can't read it anyway. So there we go. John chapter number 10. Look at verse number 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, is a thief, not is as a, is a thief and a robber. So God is simply saying here that, look, you're either going to come in through the door, or you're a thief and a robber. You say, well, I, I think we could go this way. You're a thief. Well, I'm doing real good, and I'll climb through the window. You're a robber. He said, don't call me stuff like that. I didn't. God did. God is saying here, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So what he's simply saying here is just this. Listen to me, folks. God said, I've got the door, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, look, it's over. I've opened the door. Come this way. You say, well, no, I think this will work. God said, you're a thief. God said, you're a robber. Now, I know that smacks a little bit, but that's exactly what he's saying. Go to John chapter number 10. Let me show you a person that I'm talking about that would fit this story very well. Here in this story, we read about a man by the name of Nicodemus. By the name, man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a very, very religious man. He was a very religious man. He was a good religious man. He wasn't just putting on. He was doing his best to live and do everything possibly right. By the way, by the way, he also was teaching other people how to get to know God and how to live for him. He's a real good guy here. So we find out in John chapter number 3, here was a man who taught other people how to live the way they should. He would tell them things like you need to go to the temple. When it's time, you need to go there. It'd be like me telling you, you need to go to church. He was telling them they need to go to the temple. He was telling them you need to tithe. You need to fast. You need to read and obey the law. He, so this is what he taught them. He was a teacher of the Jews. He was telling them things like be good to your neighbor. That's what the Bible teaches in the commandments, right? Love thy neighbor as thyself. This is some of the things that the Bible teaches here. We come to find out that he's teaching them to love God and, and, and hundreds of other things you must do to be accepted by God. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, if that ain't going to do it, nothing's going to do it, right? This is a good God. Everybody in the community knew he was a, a Pharisee. By the way, not the way we think Pharisees. In that day, the most religious people, the most upright, the most socially accepted people were Pharisees. They went to church, they kept the law, uh, they tithed, they did everything they were supposed to do. You couldn't blame them for anything. And Jesus comes along and starts talking to this man. What happens here is this was a good religious man, but Jesus said something to him, to this good religious man, this man who even taught other people how to live right. He taught him and he talked to him whose life was filled with good works. Look at verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy's doing all this 
stuff. Nobody could blame him and point to him and say, you're not doing that or you're guilty. Couldn't do it. Great God. Even taught other people what God expected out of their life and how to live right and how to be what you're supposed to be. He would tell them, come on, let's go to the temple with me. Go to the tabernacle with me. Come on, come on, let's go together. He would actually call the proselyte. He'd get people from false religion to come and go to church with him. Sounds good to me. I'd love to have members like that. Problem is, Jesus, who knows better, saw through all of this, and Jesus answered and said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's a very religious man. Okay, let's talk about something else. The Apostle Paul. Now, before he was the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he was a man by the name of Saul. Saul was a murderer of Christians. He actually thought, here's the reason he did that. He didn't just not like the people. He didn't like their way of teaching. He didn't know Jesus. He was living for God and said, I'm not going to allow this. They're teaching people there's another way. God, I will defend you. So he goes about killing Christians, putting them in prison, splitting up their families, all in the name of religion. So it wasn't like, I'm going to lie about stuff. No, he thought he was being very truthful. Do you know you can be very sincere and be sincerely wrong? Well, I just believe it with all my heart. You can believe that and be wrong. So what happens here in Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 5, to show you what a great guy Paul was before he got saved. He was afterward, but when he was Saul, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. His daddy was a Pharisee. But didn't stop there. Then he became a Pharisee. Remember, a Pharisee, one of the greatest guys of the day, religiously speaking. He also, I mean, he did everything that a person could possibly do so that nobody could talk about in a bad way. So we find out here in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 5, he said, a Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law. I was a Pharisee. And nobody knew what that meant. You do almost everything perfect. And he was very proud of that. Yeah, for the most part, I don't do anything wrong. Very zealous, by the way, for God. Very zealous. So we find out here, Paul admits as a religious man, Paul's admitting this about himself, believing in God, keeping the law, there was nothing and no one better than he was. And he meant it. He wasn't lying. He meant this, absolutely. But on the road to Damascus, if all of this was going to get him to heaven, if he was a really a good guy, and that's what gets you to heaven, somebody please answer me why Jesus himself arrested him, if you would, on the road to Damascus on his way there to put Christians in jail. Knocked him off of his beast and began to talk to him and said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? This is Jesus talking to Paul, God's only son talking to the apostle Paul and said, what are you doing? You do know you're fighting against me. Paul had no idea. He was ignorant, so God began to talk with Paul. Look in John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. Look at verse number 6. In verse number 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God sent his Son. He said, well, I, I, I believe in God. I, I, I believe in God. You can't go to heaven believing in God. Oh, don't panic. God himself and Jesus Christ clearly said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The Bible also.
also says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You understand? There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In context, talking about Jesus Christ. So if you do not call upon Jesus Christ, Jesus is not called by another name in a different language. It may be pronounced different. In that language, it may sound different. But if you interpret it, it's still Jesus or you're not saved. Am I here? You have to understand these kinds of things. So a religious person who is depending upon good deeds and works to get them to heaven can never know for sure. Why? Because there are no absolute guidelines. So he's kind of hoping and making things. I think that's okay. When I, when I first got saved, uh, my wife back here, we were saved in a church that did not believe in eternal security. In other words, you mess up too much, you're lost again. And that makes sense, doesn't it? There's only one problem with that. Well, a lot of problems with that. One big problem would be this. If you can actually be lost again, who's going to die for you again so you can be saved? The Bible says in Hebrews that God will never put Jesus to an open shame again, once and for all, for all people. That's it. One time. One time's all that's needed for all sin. Read the book of Hebrews. It'll tell you that. So what we find out here is simply this. We come to find out there isn't any real guidelines on how good you have to be or how bad you can be and still be saved. Okay, well, how many times can you mess up, sir? If you believe in, if you believe in works, uh, you have to be good. How bad can you be and still be saved? A gray lie, a deceitment, pulling in front of somebody, slamming on your brain. What, what, how bad? Shooting somebody. Well, that's bad. Okay, I just want to know. I want to go to heaven by the way you believe. You say, well, preacher, you really have to be good. Okay, I don't want to hear that. I want to know exactly. Because I don't want to miss this. Tell me exactly what I have to believe and do to get to heaven. Tell me exactly. And then when you're done, I'm going to go to a friend of yours who believes the same way and ask them, and I'll bet you it won't match. I'll bet you it won't match. Okay, let's talk about how good you have to be. How much good would I have to do to go to heaven by believing the way that some of you do? How good would I have to be? Exactly. Well, you have to keep these kids' members. All of them? I want to know. All of them? Okay. Now, where are they found? What's the commandments found? Most people who say that don't even know in the Bible where they're at. And even if you did, okay, if you got to live by that, quote it to me. You tell people that's what you're doing, but you can't even quote them. You don't even know them. You can't even find them. But that's what somebody told you. Okay, how about this? I have to go to church. I have to be good. How good? All I want to know is how good do I have? I want to go to heaven. I want to know how bad will make me not go to heaven, and I want to know how good so that I can. I want to go to heaven. Somebody please tell me, by works, how bad is too bad and how good is good enough to go. Is that, is that asking too much? Do you know why you can't get an answer? Because it's not biblical. There are no absolute guidelines. But we used to go to church, no matter who you asked, because they didn't believe that once saved, always saved. That a person had eternal life, like the Bible says. And so you'd ask them, okay, so how do I get there? Oh, you have to be real good. Okay, how, how good? Oh, good. Okay, I just ask you that. How good is good? Well, God knows. What kind of answer is that? So here I am trying to figure out, I want to go to heaven. I really do. And if I have to go there by works and I can't be too bad, I want to know what both of those are. I want to know how good is good, and I want to know if I'm too bad, if I'm lost again. What does that mean? 
The reason you cannot find guidelines for that, because there are none. Religious people think they will go to heaven, but they will not. You won't go to heaven when you die. There's no Bible for that. Wouldn't it be nice to know, though, for sure? I mean, instead of doing all this guessing and people going like this, you really messed up. Uh, I think I'll be okay. I think I'll be okay. Well, God knows everything. God always knows everything. What a, you're making an excuse for your lack. And I'm just asking you, I want to go with you. I had a seven day, I had a Jehovah's Witness stop by my house one day and knock on the door. And I said this, look, I'll become a Jehovah's Witness. She kept talking and she was. Uh, I'll become a Jehovah's Witness if you can promise me beyond a shadow of a doubt absolutely truthful, that you know for sure you're going. You know she said? Well, I'm trying to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, why would I follow you? You're not even sure you're going to make it. Why would I follow you somewhere and you say, I don't know, we'll figure it out as we go. What if you're wrong? He said, what if you're wrong? Then God's a liar. It's not going to make a bit of difference anyway. I don't even like saying that. I, I really don't. Hey, but oh, God's a liar. So that's the religious name. Now, here's one that catches a lot of people, right? The Reformed man. A Reformed man. What do I mean by that? This is the person who, for some reason, doesn't like what's in their life or think more ought to be added to their life, and they just start cleaning up their life. You know, I just, ah, it's just, you know, I don't like what I am. I think I'll just change some stuff. And they start reforming their life. These would be those that you would talk to and try to win to Christ and say, wouldn't you like to know, are you are you going to go to heaven? They'll say this, I think I am. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, if anybody's gone, I, you know, I guess I'm gone. That sound biblical? You sound like a verse in the Bible? Yes, I'm a verse in the Bible. So what happens is they'll say things like this, I no longer drink, I no longer smoke, I don't chew, I don't run around with my wife, I go home every night, I'm honest with people, I treat my neighbor good, and they just keep throwing up good stuff that they keep going, boom, 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 boom. I change on, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. I am reforming my life. I am re, not transforming, I am reforming my life. I don't do bad things anymore, preacher. Oh, you're really good, aren't you? Many of these will even attempt to add going to church. What's it going to hurt? I'm going to go to church. Change my life. And they start changing their compromise. Here's the danger. I want you to turn, if you would please, to Luke chapter 13. Here's the danger of this type of belief or living. Watch very carefully. In Luke chapter number 13. First of all, no one gets to heaven by cleaning up their own life. No one. No one gets to heaven by cleaning. I know that seems to make sense. Jesus didn't die for clean people. And if you say, I live clean enough to go to heaven, then why did Jesus have to die for you? See, your, your theology isn't, isn't, isn't coming together very well, is it? Actually, it's starting to fall apart. Because all of these things you've made up in your head or other people taught you, all I'm doing is asking one or two questions with a verse, and you can't answer it. You can't answer it. If Jesus said, nobody comes to Father but by me, what do you do with it? Oh, well, I live good enough, he'll accept me. I'm sorry, he said it's not by works. Now what do you do? You have to understand it's either God's way or no way. You, you got that? It has to be his plan because he gave his only begotten son. 
I was talking with a lady out soul winning, I think it was two weeks ago on a Saturday, and I said, ma'am, can you imagine, is this, is this your son right here? She said, oh, yeah. You know, and she, he was screaming and crying, everything's about the kid, you know, how people do nowadays. And uh, I said, uh, can you imagine this? Could you imagine someone coming into your yard, taking your child into the backyard while you watched, and they beat him? spit on him, lied about him, cursed him, and then in your backyard while you watched, put him on a cross and stood there and watched him die as they made fun of him. I said, could you imagine that? She was hot, man. She said, nobody do that. I got 357. Uh, they said, nobody's going to do that. And I don't blame them. And I said, then after I get through doing that to your son, I'm going to come back and knock on your door and say, can I be there with you? Oh, sure, that didn't mean anything. No. That's why God said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. God said, God watched this whole thing take place on his earth and said, You're going to try to climb up somebody other way? When my son did this for you, you're calling me God. First John chapter number 5, verse number 10 through 12. You're calling God a liar, saying, I don't believe that. And then you say, I don't sin. You just sin big time. Several times. You're calling God a liar. Number two, you don't believe in his only begotten son, which is the sin that sends people to hell. And so what do we have here? Look, if you would, please, in Luke chapter 13, verse number 3. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repent. Go to Acts chapter 17, verse number 30. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter 17. Look at verse number 30. Said verse number 30. And at the time of this ignorance, God went out. He's talking about underneath the law. He didn't destroy everybody, he didn't kill everybody, he didn't send everybody to hell. Watch what happens. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God said, I'm commanding you to repent. Now God won't make you. But he's commanding you. This is what you better do. This is what I expect. So we find out here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 22. I'm not going to turn there, but you can or write it down. The Bible said, without the shedding of blood is no remission. Remission means forgiveness. God said, unless there is blood. So good works is not shedding blood. Going to church is not shedding blood. Jesus shed his blood. And God said, I'll accept what he did for you. I will not accept you. I will accept you through him. I have everlasting life through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches here. So first of all, no one gets to heaven by cleaning up their own life. We just read about uh, uh, Nicodemus. We read about Paul. Great guys. I mean, cut above everybody. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You can't go to heaven. Never seen the kingdom of God. Why did he say that? Because you don't go to heaven. Number two, second of all, this person, this this person trying to reform their life is depending upon his morals, his good works, his reformation to getting to heaven. Listen, be careful. A person will and should be reformed after salvation, which really kind of bothers me. The person said, greatest thing that could ever take place in a person's life is salvation, have the same friends, do the same thing, go to the same places, act the same way, talk the same way, still don't do this, still don't do that, still don't do this. We're talking about after salvation. Are you sure you got saved? 
There ought to be reformation after after salvation, but reformation before salvation will bring condemnation. Bring judgment. Why? Because a man's not saved by reforming his life. You should reform afterward. I want you to go to Luke chapter number 24. Did we read there next? Okay, yeah, we'll go to Okay, go to uh, Luke chapter number 11. I preached on this last Sunday morning. I wish all of you had been here because this is going to confuse some of you right now. In Luke chapter number 11, drop down to verse number 24. I talked to you last week about demon possession. You said, oh man, I'd like to hear about that. should have been church. No. Verse number 24. Verse 24. Chapter 11, verse 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return to my house which I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Verse 26. Then he goeth and taketh in seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Very quickly, because I preached a whole message on this, but I can't do that whole thing again. Come to find out when you reform your life, basically what's happening is you're empty inside. If you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, the devil cannot come in there. There's no way a spirit is even going to mess with the Holy Spirit of God. No way in the world. Light and darkness cannot dwell together. So if you have Jesus Christ, you've accepted Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, there's no way a demon can come in and fill up your life. So what happens here was a man, he said he swept and garnished. He cleaned it up added a lot of nice stuff, and the demon said, you know, I don't like all the places I'm looking at, whether it's other people, whatever. He said, I think I'll go back to, what, my house. I'm going to go back to my house. I live there. That's my place. I'm going back to my place. And when he came back there, he went, what in the world? It was all cleaned up, real nice stuff hanging all over, maybe a church, carrying a Bible, singing songs, good music. You know, all the, all the trashy junk out of their house. I mean, he came back and said, what is going on? This is my house. I'll have it my way. You know why? Because it was empty. And he said, this is my house. The evil spirit said, this is my house. I'm going back to my house. And when he came back, it was all reformed. It was all cleaned up. It all looked different. Same person. Now, if Jesus had been there, and the Bible goes on uh, above that in verse number 21 22, talks about a strong man and a stronger man. In order to overcome a strong man, one has to be stronger. So when the evil spirit is there, the only person that can overcome that is not reformation. It's not cleaning up your life. One stronger than him, and that's Jesus Christ. Till you accept Jesus Christ into your life, he is the one that can cast that out and then fill up your life. And now that spirit, that attitude of the world, can no longer abide in you and control you unless you yield. But it cannot make you. You have to understand it. Go to go to Second Peter. Second Peter, way up by Revelation. Second Peter, chapter number two. Second Peter, chapter number two. Look, verse number twenty. Second Peter, chapter two, verse number twenty. Are you there? Verse number twenty. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world. Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. Now, reading their Bible. You know, I think I'll start doing that. Well, that sounds right. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll do that. Understand, knowledge of Christ. Okay. They are entangled. They 
looks at the end. Now, how can this be possible? Watch. For it had been better for them not to have known, didn't say anything about receiving, known the way of righteousness, than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment that was delivered unto them. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is returned to his vomit again, and the sow that was washed to the wallowing in her mind. Remember, I think it was last week, I used a pig as an example. Remember that? They were going to get him saved, get him baptized, clean up his life. His nature did not change. We tried to reform him. We tried to make him do certain things. But when you put him down near the slop bucket, near the near the mud, his nature said, man, I want that. He's going to head straight. I don't mean to make any what kind of suit he has on. You straighten out his tail, make his ears stand up straight, put perfume all over him, make him smell good, set him in church. He is still a pig. You said, are you calling me? I ain't calling you anything. I'm just saying, this guy's a pig. What he's doing is reforming his life. I am going to clean up my life. I am going to clean up my life. I am going to change my life. I am going to sweep and garnish my life. I am going to clean up some of the bad stuff that's in there, get all that dirt out, and then I'm going to start adding some good stuff. I keep that. I keep, and I'm going to add some good stuff to my life. Reformation. I am reforming my own life. He said, well, what's wrong with that? We're talking about going to heaven. Reformation is very deceitful because it makes you look and act like a lot of people around you. There's only one problem. You don't go to heaven because you look and act like people around you. You go to heaven because of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, it doesn't make any what you look like or how you act. You're not going to heaven. Reformation takes place after salvation, not in place of salvation. And so what happens? Whenever you read of spirits or demons in work in a body, they are corporal beings. They have to have a person to work in. A reformed person has not received the Holy Ghost of God, therefore they're just an empty vessel trying to add nice stuff to their life. This is why you sit in church and go like, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that. How come you have to be that way? You have more questions. God has all the answers, but you just, you just can't get it. I can take you to 1 Corinthians and show you that without the Spirit of God, you're not in this. You do not understand God because you do not have His Spirit, and He is the author of the Bible. Folks, I hope you listen to me. This is so important because we have a whole bunch of people. Well, they, you know, they're really trying to clean up their life. Stop it. Stop trying to clean up your life. Get saved. It has to start with being born again or you have no life with God, period. And it makes you if you're, the, if you're the Pharisee of Pharisees. Oh, Paul was. It makes no difference if you teach other people what's right. Oh, Nicodemus did. It doesn't make any difference how you try to clean up your life without Jesus Christ. You'll never step foot even close to heaven. When you die, you'll die and go straight to hell with all this good stuff hanging all over you. Why? God said all your righteousnesses are as filthy right. Folks, you don't go to heaven by cleaning up your life, reforming your life, adjusting your life, or going to church. It does not work that way. Perhaps this is why we see some people who do so well for a little while. And Sunday, they're just gone. So we have the religious person cannot know for sure. The reformed person cannot know for sure. Now this is going to throw you some people. This is very tempting. Go to 2 Corinthians. Now maybe one of these three is just you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Now don't get 
lost in the works here. Okay? Number three, the unrepented, repenting person cannot go to heaven. The unrepented, repented person cannot go to heaven. Okay, you need to follow me here, so I, I'm not trying to add to your confusion. I just be very careful. Some of you are so excited about this, aren't you? About ready to fall asleep or stab somebody. I'm so excited. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, drop down to verse number 9. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry. Now here the Apostle Paul is writing to those at Corinth who had a boatload of problems in their church. And he said, I wrote you and had to straighten some things out. Now you listen to me carefully, here's what he's saying. I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damnation. I'm sorry, that you might receive damnation by us in nothing. Hold on, look at verse ten. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to what? Salvation, not to be repented. Never needs to be done again. Never have changed your mind about that one again. Once it's done, it's done. But watch this. But the sorrow of the world. One, I'm sorry towards God. The other, I'm sorry about things that take place in the world. Give an example. Well, let me go with this. I believe this may be the biggest reason most people are going to miss heaven. Those that do, I think. I think this will be it. I believe these are some of those that, when they're out soul winning, we talk to them and they go, "I went to church. I was saved. I just never got started in church." That's like a brand new baby saying, my mom gave me birth and I just never found the Holy Ghost. It's ridiculous. There is a huge difference in verse number 10. Watch very carefully. Godly sorrow, a sorrow towards God, not a sorrow about you. A sorrow towards God. That was it. For a godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Then he says, so that's that's one. But sorrow of the world worketh, it doesn't work anything. You still dead. Making a difference. Now both of them are sorry. Both of them have sorrow. Well, that's what it says. Both of them have sorrow. One is a sorrow towards God, and the other one is sorrow about the world. Illustration number two. One about me, one about my wife. I should dress real funny this morning. in the military in 19, probably later 1969, I think. I think it was later 1969. Might have just been in 1969. Anyway, about that time. Um, I did something very, very bad. I mean, bad, bad. And because you're good fundamentalists, you just want to know what I did or what I didn't do. I was facing 10 to 15 years in state penitentiary. That's bad. You're 17, 18 years old, that has an effect on you. I was sorrowful. I got caught one night and put into, I hope you don't know what this is, a bullpen. That's what they used to call them. In other words, over the weekend, we're not sure what to do with you, so we'll put you in this holding cell. And then me and two other guys went in there. There were about 12 people. Woke up in the morning, there was only 30 some people in the cell. And here we were, these three younger guys and all these other 
I'm scared to die. I'm scared to hurt my knees. And of course, you try to act tough so that nobody knows that you're not laying your life because your mom was laying her life on stuff. Well, we got out by lying. We're lying our lives and we're lying your lives and everything. But I still had faith in Jesus. Sentence was still coming my way. One day while I was on the army base walking across a grain field, I don't know where we get this. Honestly, I don't know where we get this. Something in our upbringing, something in America, something we saw, something we heard. I thought I need to pray in a church somewhere. I'm walking across a grain field, and a grain field went across this way, and it's like a big football field, football grain field. And then it goes up the other, and there was a little chapel right there. And I thought, so I did. Very sorrowful. Don't tell me I wasn't sorrowful. I was sorrowful. Man, I'm facing 10 to 15 years. Don't tell me I didn't mean it. I meant every bit of it. I walked in there crying, fell down on my knees between two pews, put my hands up just like that, looked up to heaven, and I was telling God, I was promising him everything if he would just, don't let me go to prison. God, I'll never do that again. God, I'll never say that again. And I was making all these bargains and promises with God. Because of my worldly sorrow. Had nothing to do with Jesus. Had nothing to do with my sin. Had nothing to do with God. It only had to do with me. I was changing my mind about me. You won't believe this. That very day I got up from there, it was like, I don't think anybody's listening. I still felt empty. By the way, I meant it with all my heart. God, I'll stop this and I'll stop that and I'll never do this again, which I lied because when I went to Vietnam, become a drug addict, did all kinds of stuff. My wife, when she was a little girl, eight years old, I think, eight years old, uh, was in a church service, grew up in a pastor's home, testified in church, sang in church, doesn't mean anything. You have talent, you can sing probably as long as they sing. At eight years old, she was in church and her mom threatened her like good parents always do. Why can't you play around in church? Well, we're up front. I'll beat you to death when you get home or something like that. You know, parents do. And so she said, sure enough, she got to playing around. Her mom looked around and she was back there laughing and playing around. And when her eyes met, she immediately began to cry. Another very, very spiritual woman who could read looked at her and said, What's the matter with you? You need to be saved. You need Jesus. Yeah. Because I'm going to die when I get home. She didn't say that part. So she went to the altar. And her mom and dad were so happy that their daughter got saved. About five years after we got married, Saying she's going to church. About five years after we got married, God finally showed her through a lot of different things in her life that she never got saved. You see what she did? She changed her mind about some things that were in her life. But there was no sorrow towards God because of Jesus Christ and no sin. Jesus, nothing like that. No, God made no sorrow towards 
see the difference? You see how that verse right there, see the difference? Two types of sowing. One has to do towards God, the other has to do with things of the world. Most of us, a lot of people will come to an altar because you're in trouble, because you're having a tough time in your marriage, because a child has broken your heart, because you lost your job. Who knows what the reason is? A lot of people will come to an altar, and we as Christians, because we cannot read your heart, we go like this, hey, man, you received Christ as Savior? Yeah, I did. And we just accept it. I can't read your heart. I don't know what's really on your mind. But if you came up here and said, oh, God, please, I'll start going to church and, and I'll read my Bible. And if you just put my Mary's back in, that's a worldly sorrow. Had nothing to do with God. Other than he's a genie in a bottle to you. One is a worldly sorrow. I'm sorry about things concerning this world. I'm not sorry about towards God because of Jesus Christ and what he had to do for me. That's what I did. So my wife at that time, was I home? Finally pointed out to her. Look up here, look up here. Okay, sky not falling. Okay. She asked herself for the first time in her life, Am I home safe? I remember telling her one day, You cannot treat your pastor gay man or your Christian when I'm on the church. Somewhere along the line, she questioned herself for the first time. So if you're honest in your in, in your heart, God will let you know. But most people, what we do, we start putting up excuses. Well, no, I know I am because actually, for the longest time, you couldn't convince her mom and dad she didn't get saved when she was 27 years old. No, no, honey, you got saved when you're 18. You're better. I don't care if there was a billion people there. Nobody knows whether you got saved or not. That salvation takes place in here. You understand? So what happens here is this. Then how is a person saved? If uh, everything I just got through talking to you, how is a person that, okay, preacher, you can't be religious. You can't reform your life. You, you, you can't have a sorrow uh, about the world, uh, no matter what that may mean, if it's not a sorrow. So how in the world can anybody really know for sure, 100% sure, that when they die, they will go to heaven? How is that even possible? First of all, he believes God that, all have sinned to come the short of the glory. Look, folks, quit trying to fool God. He already knows you're a sinner. Actually, he come to die for sinners. Yeah. He said, I'm a good person. Did he die for me? No. Because you don't think you need him. So though he died for the whole world, you're one of those people that know. It's like the man I talk to about, and I tell you this story all the time. It's only happened, I think, once or twice. I spent 20 minutes with a man. It had to be at least 20 minutes. An old spending a lot of time with him, and he was telling me, I told him, I said, I'm Pastor Bell. Oh, come on in, come on in, come on in. So glad to be, no, no, he didn't make sense at all. So I'm leaning up against the couch, and I said, uh, so are you saying, you know something? My great-grandfather helped build, and he starts telling me all these good works that he and his family have been doing. Building churches, giving money to charities, helping people down the street, helping the neighbors along, going to church every Sunday. I promise you, it had to be at least 15, 20 minutes. All one side, all him talking about all the good things that he does, and his family, and his grandfather, and his relatives. I said, that's amazing. You sound like an awful nice guy. But what I asked him was, has there ever been a day in your life that you were so 
Jesus got through telling me how good your God is. Basically, what he was telling me is, I'll tell you exactly how I do it. I, I do this, I do that, I do that, I don't do that, I do this, I do that. And he's telling me all this. And I asked him, I said, well, what I'm asking you is, do you know for sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? This old man stood up, walked toward him, and said, you dirty, rotten, get out of my house, you blanking, blank, blank, don't you ever howl for God. And he begins to, he never stopped. And I thought to myself, well, if you think going to heaven by good works is going to do it, you just fail. And I'll bet he blamed that on me. He would never have talked that way had I not been there. Is that what you think? The only reason you don't do what's right is because of other people. Not really your fault. Still making excuses for yourself. But the Bible said all have sinned and come short of the Lord of God. There is none righteous. None righteous. No, not one. If you have any righteousness at all to get you to heaven, it's Jesus Christ, not you. It has to be that way. The 100% sure person agrees with God that he is a rotten, dirty, filthy, unrighteous sinner. He said, I don't think I was that bad. Excuse me. Your sin put Jesus on the cross, and you don't think it was that bad. He died for your sin. Now, if you weren't that bad, why did he have to do that for you? Folks, you're looking at this all wrong. Every time someone says you're a sinner, you start making it, oh, I'm not that bad, I stopped doing that. You're, you're the reformist, you're the, you're the religionist, you're the person that I just got through talking to. And God said, look, I already know, so don't do that. My son died for you, shed his blood for you. And without the shedding of blood, is no remission. So come to my son, he'll forgive you. I'm telling you ahead of time, God said, I will in no wise cast you out. Come on, come on. I don't care what you did, where you go, you come to me. Repent a godly sorrow towards Jesus, uh, towards God about Jesus Christ, and you can be saved. The hundred percent sure person, they acknowledge all my righteousness is filthy rags. The religious person, the reformist, they agree with God if they're going to get saved. You have to. You make all the excuses. It's amazing to me how arrogant and prideful we are. Well, Joseph. Cell protozoa. How about the Big Bang Theory? Everything was all lava until eternity. Why were our eyes like this? Why did we have three of them? But look at all of us. But we just start thinking the way the world and other people. Oh no, God! God created that. You want to? You want to infuriate a non-science science teacher? Just tell him you believe He created that. You send him right up the wall. Yeah, which can be fun if you. Repentance is a change of mind about you and Christ. It's not just a change of mind. Yeah, I think I need to change that. Not, not a, remember, it's a godly sorrow. But it's also a change of mind about you. Changing mind about you that I am not that sinner. I am a sinner. All have sinned. There's none of I'm agreeing with God. I'm changing my mind that I can do it without Him. I'm changing my mind that I'm good enough. I'm changing my mind about that. And I'm going to change it to agree with God. And then I'm going to change my mind maybe about what you've always thought about Jesus Christ. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Muhammad's wrong. They're not brothers. Careful. 
it says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. That was Adam. And death by sin. That's why you died, by the way. Just to prove the Bible. Therefore, they all have sinned. Therefore, death has passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. So we not only inherit a sinful nature, we do sinful things. And God said both of those need to be taken care of. So go ahead and clean up your life. You still have a sinful nature that takes a miracle for a pig, for a cat to become a dog would take a miracle. Make make a cat bark. He's still a cat. Cut his tail off, call him stubby, whatever you want to do. He's still a cat. His nature. How does he like his steak? And so... I feel down. That's what I say. Now, yeah, I don't quote scripture. I say that. Now, thank you. Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. Sin. Sin is anything, even unbelief is sin. Did you know that Bible said? All of our righteousness are filthy rags. The Bible considers us to be worms without Christ. The Bible said all of our righteousness is filthy rags. The Bible said we cannot save ourselves. I mean, it just goes on and on and on from there. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Why? I'm going to live good enough that I'll be able to die right. What's the judgment for? I got just a few minutes. Go to Revelation. Ooh, Revelation. Let's turn to everybody. Everybody likes going to Revelation. We don't know why. Because I don't. Revelation chapter. it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for Christians. Here you have the great white throne judgment that's for sinners. There are at least a thousand years apart. Minimum. A thousand years apart. Uh, if the rapture took place right now, only born, not church people, only born again people who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's no mistake about it. It's no guesswork. Jesus knows who belongs to him and who doesn't. They will go in a moment of joy for night. They'll be changed forever to be with the Lord. We go to heaven. The first thing that takes place, I'm not sure how long this takes place, is the judgment seat of Christ. This has nothing to do with whether you're going to heaven or hell. If you're not going, you're in heaven already. You wouldn't be there if you weren't saved. So what's the judgment for? Well, the Bible says here, when at the great white throne judgment, when a sinner dies, they go to heaven. Stay there for a minute. Judgment is coming. They will be brought out of hell, stand before God Almighty, not a Savior, not Mary's little baby, not a young boy, King of everything. Absolute power, God Almighty. You will stand before Him, and here's what He said. This is the person that's not saying, You're not here to find out whether you're going to heaven or hell. You're here, you're going to hell, you're going to lake of fire. Watch what it says. Start in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Now, I'm just telling you, you're not going to stand here and pop a plate. You're not going to stand here and tell him, I tried this and I tried that. No, he's going to do all the talking. You're going to do all the listening. Watch what he says here. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, plural, were opened, and another book, singular, was opened. Which is, the book, that singular book is the book of life. 
Watch what he says. And uh, the dead were judged out of the things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell, death and hell, death and hell, death and hell, wait a minute, I'm already dead, I'm already in hell, and then they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, watch, uh, and death and, well, and, I'm sorry, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works, and death and hell, verse 14, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. When Adam and Eve sinned, they passed physical death upon everybody. Everybody, everybody will die. That's the first death. The second one is an eternal death. Always dying, never dying. Do you know why you have the great white throne judgment? He said, to judge your works. All the things you did or did not do had nothing to do with whether you're going to heaven or hell. You're going to hell. You're going to lake of fire anyways. It has to do with the degrees of punishment you're going to receive because you did not receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And then, knowing everything that was true, you know the danger part about you sitting here hearing the truth and then not doing it? That right there. God will say on the, what's the date today? Third? On the 30th, Save. 
can't save. Confucius, he can't save. Joseph Smith can't save. Charles Taz Russell can't save. The Pope can't save. Mary can't save. Pastor Bell can't save. There's only one person that can bring true salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. Get over it. It's the only one. There is none other name. There is none other name. Call on who? Well, it's just like Jesus. They call him Jesus. Buddha is not a replacement for those who live in India. Confucius is not a replacement for those who don't choose the American way. It's not the American way. Actually, America is becoming less Christian all the time. I cannot get me to heaven. Get that in your head. You can't do it. No matter how good you are. You may be better than anybody on this planet. You still die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. There's only one door. And without the, without the shedding of blood is no remission. So where's God say in Romans chapter 10, verse number 13? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Upon the name of the Lord. Upon the name of the Lord. Not a worldly sorrow. Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm in trouble. Oh, if you'll just help me, I'll start going to church. That's not salvation. That's a worldly sorrow. You're bargaining with the Lord. If you'll help me, I'll do you a favor. Excuse me? He's God Almighty. He said, I'll do you a favor. My son will forgive, but you've got to believe in him and accept him as Savior. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20. The world started off with God reading Genesis chapter number 1. I think God is mentioned there like 20 sometimes. So the thing started with God. Man is not getting better, man is getting worse. So finally we get to the book of Revelation. Revelation starts, it talks about these seven churches which represent all churches. It said Jesus was in the center. And he watched every every church. Two or three chapters later, now that's a lot of time later, but several chapters later, he's standing on the outside of a church knocking on the door. He's not in the center anymore. It's not about him anymore. So he changes and says this. He didn't change his way, just the direction. He said this, I stand at the door. Now he's talking to the individual. Any man that will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and eat with him. God is saying, I'm just waiting for you to let me in. You let me in, I'll let you in. You and I will be together forever. You see, he's not an intruder. I stand at the door and knock. Then why don't you just come on in? You won't. You open the door, they'll come in. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. don't care what you believe. You let him in. He's been knocking this morning. Some of you know that. You, you see, what you, now here's the danger. I hate to say this, but here's the danger. When you keep hearing truth, what is truth? Right? What is truth? You keep hearing truth and rejecting it or turning aside. Pretty soon, you become hardened in heart. Your conscience becomes sealed. Pretty soon, you think this is actually a fight of wits. I was just thinking, you know, I, I'd love to talk to him. I love to hug him. I know I won't honor him. I'll tell you what the truth is. That you can't. You have to understand these things. The 100% person person
change your mind about my son, ask him to save you. I'm going to be here to come on to you. I did that 51 years ago. 51 years ago. I'm not still saved because I do anything wrong. I hate the dog shit. I am still saved because of his grace and what he did. Not because of what I've done. See, I believed I wasn't raised in church, which I'm very thankful for. Most of you have had too much religious knowledge garbage in your head. So when truth comes, all this stuff says, yeah, but what about, and you mean to tell me, well, I was always taught, well, what about this? Somebody said this. I didn't have that ball. Look, smoking dope and beating people up and drinking all the time is not good. I, I knew that. See, you fight with everything. How come we have to do that? What if I want to stay home? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? I got to get up early and go to work. Yeah, eight o'clock, real early. Why? I'm trying to be nice this morning. I'm trying real hard for you to be here. Are you safe?
see what goes on around me. The second time I went, I was there. Nobody knew I was coming. Last moment, I told my brother, okay, I'll be right there. I sat back about the fourth row in the church with the main room, the second time. Again, we split in the middle, and we split back here, and it's like four sections.
it's not just let's go through the motions. I guess I'm okay. That's what they told me to do. No, there's two ways. Love's in the heart. We just got to go through the motions. 